0: Thanks for listening to Covenant Church Podcast. We hope that this message is exactly what you need to hear. All right, good morning, Covenant. How are you today? All right, no slipping and sliding on the roads I trust on your way in? All right, somebody said they came in their sled. A little tricky out there in Pennsylvania winters. We ran away from Arkansas where they hadn't had bad snow in like eight years. And the last two years, they've had really heavy ice and snowstorms. So I guess it just hits no matter matter, uh, where you're at. Today we're going to read from uh, the book of John, chapter 6, as we continue in a series that we have called The Signs of Jesus. And you might notice, if you're an attentive Bible reader that we're kind of slipping backwards in the book of John this morning. We're going to a previous sign from the one that was preached a week ago where Jesus walked on water. But we're also going to use this to propel us forward into some new information that comes after the walking on water. First the sign, and then we'll unpack it in the sermon. If you would follow along with me, John 6, 1 through 15, as Jesus feeds the 5,000. Sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee. That is, John explains, the Sea of Tiberias. And a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs he had performed by healing the sick. Then Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples the Jewish Passover festival was near. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him because he already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered him, it would take more than half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will they go among so many? Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place and they sat down. About 5,000 men were there. After the people saw the sign Jesus performed, they began to say, surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to God. Let's pray. Father, we come to you with a sign in front of us that Jesus feeds a crowd with a small boy's lunch. Many have heard the story before, but we pray today that you would come to us with a fresh wind of insight and spiritual nourishment so that we could be fed today from Jesus himself and receive from his hand. We pray that spiritually you would do for us that sustaining work that gives life. And that for those who maybe are hearing the story for the first time or making their decision still about Jesus, that they would find in this sign that they believe he is the one that you approve of and that he's the one you sent. And we pray that together as a church you would build us up and strengthen us and nourish us to do good works to impact our community for your sake and your kingdom, to constantly lift praise and worship to you and to support each other in all of the trials of life. And we pray that you would do that for your glory, not for ours. And so today we ask that you would pour through me the gift of preaching so that I would speak clearly and accurately the words that you've chosen and that each of us would receive from your hand today. In the name of Jesus, your son, whom you approve, we pray. And together we all say, amen. Amen. You know, it's the most romantic weekend of the year, so the advertisers say. They are always using everything to their advantage to get your dollar, aren't they? It's the most romantic weekend of the year. Tomorrow is Valentine's Day. Hopefully you've bought everything that you needed to buy, signed everything you needed to sign. Hopefully you did a little bit more than just putting your name in a card. You wrote a little verse or a little note of love. And this reminds me of something from my first year studying biblical languages. Yes, I'm going to link Valentine's Day to Greek class today. (laughs) Yay. I had a language professor my first year in Bible college who told us that the most romantic of all Greek words was in the feeding of the 5,000. He had our attention. He said, I whisper this word into the ear of my wife, and she just cuddles up next to me. He really had our attention. We were all young people who weren't particularly good at flirting, and we thought, if we can get any step up at all, even if it's a Greek word, we'll take advantage of it. So he says the word to the class. Pentakiskilioi. He said, can't you feel it? Doesn't it warm the cockles of your heart? That's another thing he often said. We thought, well, I guess it sounds all right, but anything sounds kind of romantic in a foreign language. What does it mean? He goes, kilioi. You'll find out soon enough. And he made us wait. We had to learn Greek before we could learn the most romantic word in Greek. kilioi means 5,000. And so he would whisper this to his wife, and it really didn't matter what it meant. It was nourishing and sustaining to their relationship because he was flirting with her. Yeah, most romantic weekend of the year. And we're looking at these signs of Jesus in John, ultimately in John's Gospel. This feeding of the 5,000 is one of several signs that Jesus gives. And people are making their decisions about Jesus, even if they don't fully understand what his words mean based on their encounters with him and the signs that he gives. They don't really get it all, but they get enough to make a choice. All over John's Gospel, people are making decisions about Jesus, and this is the power that the Gospel of John still has for today. When you read it, you cannot help but begin to form your choice about Jesus. So, watch out. It might happen for you today and the signs today are pointing to this being a pretty good sermon because this morning i got a three out of six on wordle (laughs) so we're off to a good start it's also the weekend not just of romance but of a certain football game that gathers a little attention each year and advertisers use this too by the way uh, this was already asked but you weren't all in the room yet who here's for the rams today not one. Who's for the Rams today? I mean, say it out loud. Go ahead. Rams. That, that, that kid, that, that, that guy brought his loaves and fish today. Who here's for the Bengals today? Oh, really? Okay. Well, and the Lord will forgive even you. So this is a good news message all around. You know, it seems that people, advertisers, selling Valentines, selling Super Bowl commercials for six and a half million dollars every 30 seconds, whatever it is, are always trying to find that little extra advantage. And so too, the people who eat this meal with Jesus feel like they should press their good fortune, their full bellies, just a little further to see what they can get out of this. And the first question for you today as you think about the feeding of the 5,000 is, what do you think this means about Jesus? Like, what does this mean he will do? And what will he do for you? They press their good fortune a little further, and some of them try to make him king by force. But he will explain just a few days later why exactly he won't allow this to happen. But to get to the part where they talk about it, where he explains to them the meaning of the feeding of the 5,000, you have to circumnavigate the story about Jesus walking on water. Because the walking on water is really a great story in itself And it gains our attention so clearly and crisp as we read that story and picture Jesus striding across the waves that by the time we get to the other side of the lake with him, we've often lost contact with the sign itself and forget what it is exactly he's talking about. Think about it like a donut. In the middle, the center, the donut hole is the walking on water story. And all around it is this delicious food talk about bread and bread of life and fish and so on. Jesus will unpack the meaning of the meal, but in the middle of the donut hole, proverbially proverbially speaking, is one saying of Jesus that Bruce preached on last week. Jesus says one thing on the lake. He says, It is I, do not be afraid. In Greek, ego eimi me phobes It is I, do not be afraid. Or, as Greek and Hebrew often want to do, because they don't have to use all the words we have to use in English to get our point across, I am, do, do, do not be afraid. I am here. Don't be afraid. And around the other side of the lake, just as you follow around the outside of that donut, you'll find Jesus saying another I am statement. I am the bread of life. I am the bread of life. So today, we're going to follow this Jesus around the lake like the crowd does. He crosses it, but we come around looking for him to see what his sign means. And we're going to look at it in three ways, the short-term, near-term, and long-term impact of the sign. What does it do immediately? What does it do in the near-term, and what is the long-term impact of the sign? So let's start with the sign's short-term impact on the disciples, for instance. Philip is asked, what do you think we should do? He doesn't really know what to do. Andrew, at least, is able to offer some kind of maybe faithful option, even if he doesn't really know what to do with it. Well, here's a boy. Here's one kid out of 5,000 plus who remembered to pack lunch today. Doesn't it kind of make you wonder where these people thought they were going? I mean, you all forget things when you pack, don't you? You forget a toothbrush, you know, but it's not super important. They have them at convenience stores. Your spouse brought one. You don't tell them you borrowed it. (laughs) Most of the things you need, you can get on the other side of your journey. But these people go out into a remote location with no food whatsoever. What did they think was going to happen? It's really a curiosity. And this one kid in the morning decides to pack some loaves and some fish, and Andrew sees it and goes, well, Jesus, here's something. Maybe we can start with this. It's wonderful to watch the logic of Philip and the faith of Andrew being played out side by side. And how Jesus will use that small bit of faith to do such a great sign. And that's part of the impact. Another part of the impact is on the crowd. They get a great meal. You know, a really satisfying one. They eat as much as they want. And when they're done, there's baskets left. The generosity of God is on full display so that no one can doubt when God feeds the multitudes, He does it richly that's a good short-term impact, isn't it? I'm not hearing from you today. Is that a good short-term impact? Praise the Lord. Amen. Jesus gives another short-term impact. He says, so that nothing will go to waste, gather the baskets of leftovers. So that nothing will go to waste. And 12 baskets are left over Now, the people will show by the time they get to the other side of the lake that they've thought about the 12 baskets through their own history, the Jewish history. And they remember that there were other times when God provided miraculous amounts of food for big crowds of people, like a whole nation of Israelites coming out of Egypt from their imprisonment there and their slavery, wandering through the wilderness, not having packed enough to eat. And Jesus provides manna manna is a hebrew word that just simply means a guy walked out of his tent one morning he saw something on the ground kicked at it a little and goes manna what is that <laughs> and so their word for god's food for them is literally just what is it when god feeds us we don't even understand what it is but god drops it from heaven without their full understanding of it and says pentecostal love you love you and they eat. They know the story, and so they know that in the story of Israel being fed by God, there is never any collected in extra baskets. If you bring extra into your tent, more than what is enough to fill you, it's rotten by morning and full of maggots. Only a couple of people try God on that one, and then everybody else doesn't want the maggot plague, so they don't do it anymore. But in the, in the manna miracles, the trusting of God is trust that there will always be enough day after day after day, and don't build a savings account. That's that story. This story, Jesus says, no, collect it all so that nothing will be wasted, because he's working on a different paradigm now. He's thinking about all the people in the world whose lives are going to waste that he's going to gather into the fold of God. And he, he gets these 12 baskets, because symbolically, it does a couple of things. One, he just fed 5,000 men. Now, you go, it's says men because those people in the Bible were such patriarchists, right? They were hierarchicalists. No, 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 no. It says 5,000 men because that's how you count armies. You count them by fighting units. And in the other gospels, it says they sat down in 50s and hundreds because they came in ranks. And in the other gospels, it reminds us there was much green grass in that place as it does in this one. And that a certain festival is near. Which festival is it? Passover, the one in which the Israelites were set free from Egypt. He, and it's the springtime when kings go to war. And so they come and they try to make Jesus king by force because they're fighting mad. They're ready. They're looking for a sign that it's time to go. Now, that's a guess, but it's a pretty good guess based on the text. And who else comes with them? Well, all the people that come with an army, the women and the children who are camp followers are there too, and they eat as well. It doesn't just say this because it's patriarchalist. It says this because it shows you a little bit of political insight. Another clue from the text is he does the miracle at the Sea of Tiberius. Do you know who Tiberius is? Supposed king of the world. And Herod Antipas, a little lower, kind of not even full king in of the Jews the son of Herod the great named his town Tiberius cuz we want to butter up the big king in Rome and we're going to call Lake Galilee Lake Tiberius Jesus is like we're right here the king will serve dinner hold court give feast and he does it right there under the supposed shadow of the king but he does it and he feeds 5000 plus 12 plus women and children because each apostle, each disciple goes home with a full basket full of food, representing not only God's provision for them uniquely, but the kind of work they're gonna be called to do. Gathering in the people so that nothing will go to waste. And the people, as they think about this, what does it mean that God at one time said, don't collect in baskets, and now he says, collect everything. So they follow him around the lake, but what do they think it means? Some clearly think it means it's time for war you know, you can understand and maybe forgive them for why they would think that. Because what is the reason that most armies fail? Supply lines. Winning a war is not about having the best fighting units, it's about keeping the fighting units fed and healthy. You've got the healthiest troops for the longest amount of time, you'll win. I just heard this yesterday talking to my wife when we were having dinner together. I hadn't seen it in the news, but it's remarkable that there's a lot of complaints coming from Olympic athletes about the poor nutrition at the games right now. And they're losing weight. The ones that are in quarantine for COVID are losing a lot of muscle mass really quick because they're not getting the protein they need. Supply lines matter. Okay, getting food to your people matters. And these people see a mobile food station. Here is a cafe on feet. This is a guy that you don't have to keep supply trains. You just get him to the remote fighting forces and he'll feed them all. Other people, maybe they're thinking this will end food shortages. We can end famines. Maybe they're thinking a little bit more altruistically. Maybe some other people, kind of like the advertisers of today's game and this romantic weekend are thinking we can franchise this. Jesus bread, Galilee edition, right? Let's get one in Jerusalem. Let's get one in Caesarea Maritima. Bread of life, you know, $12.99 falafel. (laughs) They might want to control it. They might, though, they just might want to steer it just a little. Not control Jesus, just steer it a little to kind of get advantage, best advantage for everyone Maybe some of them are full of awe. Maybe there are a few who don't really want to steer it at all. They just don't even know what it means. They're full of awe. But we know that for many, there was belief in something, even if they thought they might steer this thing. There was belief that this is uniquely God's person. This guy, whatever else he is, is touched by God. He's the one with words, as Peter will later say, of eternal life, of real significance. A bunch of them think that. Okay. So let's talk about the near term impact. They get around the lake, they've had the meal, the short term impact has faded. Philip and Andrew are are already they've slept a night, they've been on a boat where they all thought that they saw a ghost walking across the lake. They've forgotten about that petty little moment where Philip's logic and Andrew's faith was kind of put on display publicly. Things are behind them. The crowd, the energy of the food is worn off. They're now looking for a new meal. What's the near-term impact? Well, you know, Super Bowl Day is a good uh, illustration of this, too, because this is a day where there's a lot of food and for some a lot of partying, and so the near-term impact is what? Missed work. A few days of eating salads and drinking water to uh, restore some semblance of health, but but what, what is that next day impact, that second day out impact of this meal? Well, people go looking for more, and Jesus will engage them in meaningful spiritual conversation. And I, I can't read all the verses today. There's 50 verses of conversation, so I've summarized them on some PowerPoint slides. I want you to see the thread of conversation that they're working through with Jesus in the day and day after this meal, So the first slide is gonna have a few of their questions. We've got got questions and a statement, and then we've got a few more questions, and then another statement, and then everybody makes their decisions. You can go read this on your own time. Those taking our John reading challenge this month, you'll read it twice, well this season, you'll read it twice actually between now and Easter if you're taking that challenge. If you need to, read some parts a third or fourth time, just, just do that. Because some of these take a little longer to digest than others. And this is a big, meaty section of 50 verses, but here's the thread of conversation. They come around the lake, they finally find Jesus. They had taken their boats to go find him at the miracle site and didn't find him there. And so they ask him, Rabbi, when did you get here? We've been looking for you. Jesus will reply to them something like this. Okay, this is a summary. Yeah, you had that meal, didn't you? But you need better food than that food that the Son of Man will give you, the person on whom God has placed his seal of approval. And they go to Jesus, well, (laughs) what do we need to do to do the works that God requires? How would we know? How would we get it? Jesus says in a word, believe. What did I want for the sign to do for you? Believe. I just wanted you to trust the one that God approves of. No, 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 don't steer it that way. Just believe. Stick around a little while. No, no, don't control it like that. Just believe and stick around a little while. They ask him again, what sign then will you give us so that we may see it and believe you? In other words, Jesus, you did one sign. Can we get another? We got to verify it. We got to check it. By the way, look, it happens to be lunchtime. Isn't this just very human? God, you came through once Now I've got a big request for you. They say our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness. I told you they were thinking about that. And they said, as it's written in Scripture, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. So if you're from God, then you give people bread from heaven to eat. So, And Jesus, again, this is summarized, says, um, that wasn't Moses. You think that was Moses. That wasn't Moses. That was God. And now he's just sent you true bread from heaven. He calls it true bread. Before you had manah. What is that? Now you have true bread. Sir, they said, will always give us this bread. We want the true bread. And he goes, okay, sure. It's me. I'm the bread of life. Very straightforward. And he says it in that Greek that we talked about, ego eimi, I am, echoing the words of God. Who came to Moses and said, I am that I am. I'm the bread of life. And then he says a few other very significant things. I'm just going to drop some bread crumbs here for you to go back and look at. He talks about how he alone completely satisfies people, that he never drives people away from him that the Lord brings to him, that his father in heaven brings to him. That he always does his Father's will. That someday, and this is one of the long-term things we'll talk about, he will raise up his followers and give eternal life to his believers. Right now, you just need to know I'm the bread of life and believe, but there is a lot more Jesus has to say about what it will mean for you. Think about it this way. I already had donuts on my mind because I was thinking about this circumnavigating of the lake, and besides, I really like donuts. And I saw... A picture on Facebook that was posted by a professor of mine this week and it said did you know the equivalent amount of donuts that you need to have the same amount of sugar that you get in one Dunkin Donuts 32 ounce frozen pumpkin drink how many donuts do you need one drink how many donuts anybody want to guess 17 donuts of the glazed round, you know what I'm talking about. 17. I mean, you you know, you could be tossing out boxes of donuts here and it's basically health food compared to those frozen drinks. <laughs> this is a really silly way of, of talking about what Jesus is saying here. Is you've been eating food that kind of is a little bit of nutrition. Sugar is not nutrition by the way. Don't confuse that. That's not the analogy. It's got a little bit in it, I've got all of it. You eat this and you're hungry again in a little while. You you get what I have to give you. And he's being very subtle here, but they lack subtlety. He says, you get what I have to give you and you will never hunger again. I will satisfy. And they, in turn, just grumble because all they heard in this long speech of beautiful implications of of the feeding, all they heard was this. God gives bread from heaven, you said you're the bread of life. That means you're saying you're from heaven? That can't be right. That's what catches them up? He just did that thing with the loaves and the fish, and he fed all those people, and there was baskets and all that, and they go, it can't be from heaven? I'm not even sure how you get there. Why couldn't it be from heaven? They're so sure about this that they grumble and complain. So one of the short-term impacts is that they don't receive what he has to give because they've already got some theological presuppositions that preclude it. On the second slide, we see some other questions now. Now that they're grumbling and they say he can't be from heaven, that's not right. They say that's because we know him. He's Jesus. He's from here in Nazareth. He's Joseph's son. We know his father. We know his mother. How can he now say I came down from heaven? And he will simply say to them, well, I really am the bread of life. He repeats it for emphasis. And I give my flesh for the whole world. The manna didn't keep you alive for long. Remember, I'm summarizing Jesus. He says your forefathers ate the manna in the desert and still they died. What does that mean? The manna didn't keep you alive for long. I'm the bread of life. And they begin to argue amongst each other. They begin to argue about this because they do lack subtlety. They can't even think of this as a sign that's pointing forward. They just think, he said now eat his body? Eat his flesh? What is he talking about? These are like the most literal people in the whole world. But aren't we sometimes also so literal when we accuse God? You said you loved me. This doesn't seem like love. Your way right now, that particular way, is the way I gotta come through. Wait a second. What if God has long-term impacts for me? What if he doesn't want me to just get what I want every single time like a spoiled child and manipulate him into being the feeder of my purposes? But he wants me to see that he does give generously so that I'll trust him in the times that he can't because it wouldn't take me where he needs me to go you know, this is a hard teaching. And the people start asking, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? Like, how is that even possible? And he says, well, he doubles down on it now again. He goes, but you really do, you have to eat my flesh and drink my blood. And he says it again, the manna didn't keep your fathers al- alive for long. So, if the, if the, Jesus, this is Jesus' reasoning. If the regular bread you're eating isn't keeping you alive, why not try what I have to say? That's his argument. Is, is anything else working for you? Doesn't everybody you know die? Isn't everybody you know in the end their life is basically wasted years, missed opportunities? I mean, even people that live to good ripe old age have some regrets at the end. Like, isn't every human life an example of a piece of bread dropped off the table on the ground, moldering away because it didn't see its full potential? And Jesus goes, if that's what manna did for your forefathers, why won't you give me a try? Eat my body. And they say, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? And from that point on, many of his disciples made their decision about him. They left him, they turned away, and they followed him no more. Oof. You see, Jesus, then, he'll basically say, again, I'm summarizing, you know, it's not really flesh that I'm talking about. He actually will say, In the next comment, it is the spirit, not the flesh, that counts. Which is Jesus' way of saying, I've been talking about spirit the whole time. My words are full of the spirit and life. Did you hear that? Jesus says, it is not the flesh that counts, but the spirit. And where do you find the spirit? People are always troubled by this question. Where's the spirit? How do I know if I've got the spirit? How do I know if I've engaged the spirit? How do I know if I've had enough spirit to get saved? Jesus says, my words are spirit and life. You come and you eat the meal with me, you watch me, you encounter me, you'll make your decision about me. Is he the one God approves of or isn't he? And in that, the spirit will come to you with life or you won't eat of me. Wow. From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. So Jesus turns and he looks again at, at Philip and at Andrew and the other 10 of those traveling companions of his. And he looks at them, and you know, I don't, I don't know exactly how he did this, but I imagine him kind of looking at them and going, you don't want to leave me too, do you? not because he's in doubt, but because he wanted to test them. He fed the 5,000 because he wanted to test them. And Peter, finally, always the first one with a foot forward and always the first one to open his mouth, one of his shining moments in all the Gospels says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of, of eternal life. See, he got it. Peter, for all his faults and his boldness and his charging in, eyes closed, has a little bit of spiritual subtlety. I know what you meant, Jesus. Your words are changing everything. We've come to believe and to know that you're the Holy One of God. You're the one of his approval. And Jesus didn't say it in the Bible, but I have a feeling he said it in Aramaic when he was standing there. Bingo. (laughs) What's the long-term impact of the sign? You know, there's some things that God doesn't do for a while, but He'll do them after a pause. Last night, uh, Jenna and I went to what I think I really think now is my favorite concert we've ever been to together. We were talking on the way home from Drew and Ellie Holcomb. Is this the best concert we've ever been to? And I think it was. It was down in Phoenixville. They have this small theater, an old small theater house, and we were so far away, as far as the seats are concerned, that we were almost in the back, but we were so close, as far as the venue is concerned, that we could have almost tossed a, a, a baseball or a rock and, and hit them. And we watched them sing for a couple of hours and play together with a couple of friends on stage and engage with the crowd, and they took requests from the crowd, because it was one of those venues where you could do that. People could shout out and be heard. And they said, what we're gonna do now is something we learned from Garth Brooks. That's really funny, they learned something from Garth Brooks, it's just so great. And they said, we saw him at a concert where he just played a verse and a chorus of some of his most popular songs so that he could fulfill a bunch of requests. So we're just gonna play verses and choruses, not the whole thing of a whole bunch of songs right now. And the crowd began to demand a particular song, one that's really famous of theirs and well-known of theirs. And, and the crowd was getting louder and demanding it. a few people asked for it. And Drew Holcomb looked at them and said, that is the song that we're already planning to play after we pretend that we've left. <laughs> <laughs> Which is what every musician does. Go in now, see ya. Are you gonna lift up some glory? Are you gonna lift up some praise? Are you gonna clap your hands? Are you gonna stand and stomp your feet? Are you gonna whistle and shout? We've got two songs planned for you already after we pretend that we've left. And this is exactly what Jesus does with the feeding of the 5,000. He just leaves. They try to make him king, he just leaves. He just walks across the lake to the other side of the lake. You want to try to make him do something by force? Jesus will just slip away. But after a while, after he's pretended that he has left, after he has pretended that he's gone into heaven and left us alone here on earth to figure out everything we're supposed to do with these teachings that he left us, he said, I'm with you always to the end of the age, and I will come back for those who are mine. And Jesus one day has promised that he will return after he's gone away for a little while to see who will give him glory. Who's gonna stand up and shout his name? Who's gonna stomp their feet and whistle? Who's gonna catcall? Who's gonna cat holler? Who's gonna clap their hands? Who sticks around knowing that he has an encore? He's not done yet. Jesus won't be made anything by force. So stop trying so hard. You can't force Jesus to solve your personal, theological, political, or cultural wars. He will slip away. And those who try, and they watch him slip through their fingers, walking away across the water, he will refuse to put on any new signs at their demand. They often, after having done that, say, what good was he for anyways? The other people hear the gentle whisper of God, Pentechiskilioi. Remember the 5,012, actually. And they remember that Jesus promises full restoration by something he calls resurrection or raising them up. And some people think raising up just means that you get a leg up on the competition. You win some wars, you sell some food. Maybe you get a little bit of regeneration, like the way an axolotl can grow limbs back after they've been cut off and restore its nervous system. You ever seen one of those cute little things? They're like the most popular hipster pet in the world right now. But Jesus means far, far more than a little improvement plan or status upgrade for the rest of your limited years on this earth. You have to make a choice about him too. Is he the one that God favors? Do you believe his words and do you eat them? Because those who do find that Pentecost Kilioi means so much more. God's generosity knows no bounds. When he says, I will raise them up, He actually means it. No subtlety needed. But God has a place for you in what he calls new heavens and new earth. How does that work? I don't know. How does feeding 5,000 people with a couple little breads work? I don't know. But I believe he's the one of whom God approves. Let's pray today the Lord's Prayer together out loud, if you would, on your feet with me. Let's read the Lord's Prayer. If you believe, if you don't, if this is foreign to you, if you don't know what you think about him yet, it's okay, you don't have to say the words. But for those of you who do, let's again trust that his words that he gave us are spirit and life. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. ways to connect, visit our website at covenantdoylestown.org or follow us on Facebook or Instagram.